West Bulls, good morning. Well, I think we scared Thomas. He saw the weather was going to get below like 80, and he had flashbacks to his first year here. You know, it was frigid. So they went so, I don't know, they went out of town. So he'll be back up here next week. But normally I would stand here and I would say, my name's Nathan. I'm the associate pastor here at the church. Um, but we're going to take a cue from DirecTV this morning. You've seen their commercials? You know, Peyton Manning comes in. He says, I'm Peyton Manning. And then Peyton Manning comes in over here and he's like, I'm high voice Peyton Manning. Which was like Mickey Mouse Peyton Manning, actually. All right. Well, normally you get associate pastor Nathan, but this morning you get spreadsheet Nathan, okay? And spreadsheet Nathan actually exists. I am truly a nerd, okay? I love, love, love. I told myself I wasn't get emotional. Um, I love spreadsheets, all right? In fact, um, I just need to ask, is there anybody here you use spreadsheets for your job or to keep track of a budget at home or a fantasy football team? Or if you're like me, you have no good reason to use one, you just open it up and say, this is my canvas, okay? <laughs> keep your hands up if that's you. Now, how many of you keep your hands up if that is truly an exciting, enjoyable time for you? All right, well, this morning is going to be exhilarating for the seven of us nerds in here, okay? <laughs> For the rest of you, I'm just going to level with you. You are missing out on a much fuller life, all right? So, all that being said, um, whether you like spreadsheets or not, uh, I want to talk to you about them for a minute because there is something about the way a spreadsheet operates. I know, I'm a nerd. Please still talk to me after service, all right? But there's something about the way a spreadsheet operates that tells us so much about the way we operate because like any computer program, a spreadsheet needs you to give it a command to run. And one of those commands that you can give a spreadsheet is a word that we use all the time. If. If. And when you type if into a spreadsheet, what you're telling it is, hey, look around at the conditions, and if they make sense, then operate in a certain way or produce a certain result. For example, if I can tell a spreadsheet, hey, if in cell A1 you see Nathan, then in cell A2 type awesome. And the spreadsheet would go, well, that makes sense. And it puts awesome. Okay, but sometimes the spreadsheet does what you see on screen here. See, our younger generation, you think those are hashtags. They're not hashtags, okay? Before those were ever hashtags, and I am, I'm intense about this. Every time I see a hashtag, I'm like, it's not a hashtag. It's an Excel error, okay? And we need to talk about it. All right, that is a spreadsheet. If you see that on a spreadsheet, that is a spreadsheet telling you, look, I'm looking around at the conditions, and I can't really make sense of what it is you're wanting me to do. Okay, for example, if in cell A1 it says Nathan, and I tell it in cell A2 to put tall, it's going to go, that doesn't make any sense. I can't do that. So it gives, it gives you an error code, all right? Here's why we've got to talk about this. Okay, I mean, we could stop right there, and we could leave, and you would walk out of here knowing a little bit more about spreadsheets, and personally... I just think that's a gigantic win for the kingdom of God, okay? <laughs> but some of you may not feel that way, so we're going to keep talking about this a little bit, okay? No, the reason you need to know that is because that's how we operate. That's exactly how we operate. Because what happens for us is we tend to look around at the conditions around us, and if they make sense, then we're okay. But sometimes you look around at the conditions around you, and you see things like injustice, and you see tragedy, and you see hardship that you're going through. You're going through a hard time. And you know what we do? We produce an error. 
There's something in our brain that goes, I, I can't reconcile this. This doesn't make sense. And you know where that plays out more than anything? In our relationship with God. In the way we see God. In who we think God is. Because we say things when we look around and things don't make sense. We say things like, why is this happening? I can't reconcile this. Or God, where are you? Or God, who are you? And this morning, I want us to look, I just want us to look at some conditions that took place. And these are conditions that by all appearances, it really looks like Jesus made these conditions happen. And it it created a bunch of error codes in the people around him, in the people he loved, in the people who followed him. And we're going to look at that because what you're going to see this morning is that those errors, when you look around and things don't make sense, those errors, they don't have to destroy your trust in Jesus. And they don't change who Jesus is. In fact, the conditions actually say something about who Jesus is. So this morning, as we continue through the story, we're in chapter 25. And if you have that book, you can go to uh, chapter 25 right now. If you're in the Bible, it's John chapter 11. And here's what's going on. In John chapter 11, Jesus has been making some really, really big claims about himself. He's been saying things like, I am the light. And the people of that day were going, you're the light? I mean, we've heard one being say that. Who said that? Well, God did. So Jesus, are you saying you're God? And then he would say, the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be killed, he'll be put to death, and then three days later, he's going to rise. People are going, whoa, this is getting people's attention. And then he said, you know what, I've come from God, and if you've seen me, well, you've seen him. And this left people going, so you're saying you're God? And when you take all those claims into account, you know what, it it makes what we're about to look at make even less sense at first glance. Because you look at it and you go, If he's God, then why are those conditions going on? So we're in John chapter 11, verse 1. Follow along with me. I forgot the Bible I like to preach with, so I brought out this giant one. I'm just going to read every page of this to you guys this morning, all right? All right. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now stop there for a minute. Immediately you have an if statement forming right here, don't you? Think about a loved one of yours. If you know a loved one that you have in your life is sick, you're going to do what? You're going to go see him, right? If loved one is sick, then that means... I'm going to go see him. Okay? It goes on. Jesus responds. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. See, in those days, people thought sometimes if somebody was sick, oh, they must have done something. Or they must have not done something. They must have messed up. And Jesus is saying, no, this sickness is for God's glory. And he goes on. So that God's son may be glorified through it. And then John gives us this detail that's like, John, why are you telling us that again? Why are you emphasizing this? Because you just told us this. Look at what John says, verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yeah, John, we know. 
You just said that the sisters sent word that said, Jesus, the one you love, is sick. So why are you telling us that he loves them again? And if John were here, I think John would say, because when you see the next verse, it's not going to feel like Jesus loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Look at verse 6. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. Two more days. Okay, what? I mean, this creates an error for us, doesn't it? Because we look around and we go, Jesus, if it raises some questions about him. If you really are God, like you've been saying, and if you love these guys, I mean, I would go see them. If a loved one of mine was sick, I'd go see him. And yet you stayed where you were for two more days. I'm not making sense of this. And see, when you see stuff like this, it does raise questions, doesn't it? You go, okay, wait a second. Who is God then? What does this say about him? What does this mean? Well, we're going to see that Jesus has a few interactions. And you're going to see that in those interactions, there, there were some error codes generated in those around him. And what you're also going to see is that it's been 2,000 years since this happened, but none of it's changed. The same things that the people around him are going through, guess what? We go through. But it, at the end of it, you're going to see that it says something about Jesus that you just can't miss. All right, take a look at this. Then he said to his disciples, so it's been two days, look at what he does. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. What? Jesus, two days ago, when you should have gone, you stayed. Now it's been two days, and honestly, we're going to find out in a minute, the disciples think you should probably stay. But now you want to go. Well, why do the disciples want to stay? Look at this. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there? Who are the disciples really? I mean, it looks like they're worried about Jesus. Who are the disciples really worried about? Yeah, themselves. And they're like, okay, Jesus, last time you were there, you were on your own, and they threw rocks at you, and look, that's fine. You were by yourself, but now you're saying, let us go, which means we're going to go, and if we go to Judea, we're going to get rocks thrown at us. Jesus, you're trying to walk us into a giant dodgeball match with rocks. No thanks. See, what are they going through? They're scared. They've got fear. This error code that's been generated in them is fear in the middle of these conditions. Well, it goes on. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Okay, what? Jesus, we were just talking about getting rocks thrown at us, and now you're talking about light and dark and all that. Well, remember who Jesus claimed to be? Light. See, Jesus is making a point here. that there's, Right now, you have the light with you. I'm here. But a time is coming. A time's coming. He'd been telling them that light is going to be put to death. I'm not going to be here much longer. And once I'm gone, darkness. So Jesus is saying, we're going to Judea because what you're going to see is going to give you a flashlight to help you see once it's dark. Well, the disciples don't get any of this because Jesus 
He goes on, he says, after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. In other words, well, we don't have to go then. I mean, he's just sleeping, and your God, just beam him a little alarm signal in his brain, and he'll wake up. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death. See, Jesus knew Lazarus has gone from sick to dead. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then this just sounds, this just sounds terrible, honestly. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. It sounds insensitive, but you know what Jesus is saying? Look, guys, you've been with me through some different conditions. You've seen me do some things, but you haven't seen these conditions. And so we need to go there. And one of the disciples is like, you know what? We're done fighting this. And it happens to be Thomas. You've heard the phrase doubting Thomas. It comes from this guy because he had a doubting episode, but not here. Right here, he looks full of courage. Look at what he says. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <sighs> wow. And see, what you see Jesus doing here is he's saying, look, guys, I know that there's something you're scared of. You're scared of something, but I want to show you something. I know you've got fear, and I know this doesn't make sense right now, but if you go with me to Judea, I've got something to show you, and it will serve as a light for you when the world is dark. This, uh, Thomas's response actually reminds me of um, how much I hate, and I will use the word hate, I hate roller coasters, okay? Absolutely hate. Anybody else in here? All right, well, you guys can stop making fun of me now because there are other people, all right? Hate roller coasters, cannot stand them. Well, we were on a youth trip one year. I was in high school. And we're out in California at Six Flags, and the whole group is like, hey, we're getting on the Superman ride. Have you guys seen the Superman ride in California? Okay, you get in a little car that's probably like, yeah, it's this big, okay? And they're going to rocket you down a track about 90 miles an hour, and then you're going to go straight up probably like seven miles in the air. That's pretty much what it feels like. <laughs> then you're going to stop, and you're going to do a free fall all the way back down. I was like, not doing it. I am not doing it, Okay. Well, there was this guy who lives in California who was with us. It was a guy that the, the church knew named Jean-Luc. And he was part of this Christian rock and roll band. And he met us at Six Flags. And he sees all this going on. He's like, Nathan, come here. Puts his arm around me. And then, oh man, I shudder still. He starts pointing at people. He's like, hey, come over here. Hey, you, come over here come over here. So he's gathering the youth group, but he's also gathering people we don't know. He's like, everybody just put your hands on Nathan right now. <laughs> and he starts praying for my courage to face the roller coaster. And in the middle, I interrupted the prayer. I said, Jean-Luc, I'm not getting on. He's like, it's just fear in you, brother. It's just fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And I just remember thinking, Christians are so weird. But I finally, I had the Thomas response. I said, you know what? Fine. I'm going. And if I die, I die. <laughs> so I get on this thing. I don't know. I did not see the entire ride. I just, just like this. All the way up, all the way down. And I went on five more roller coasters that day. In fact, a girl held my hand on one of them. And I'm here to tell you, I love roller coasters, all right? 
And this is what Jesus is trying to do. He's saying, guys, get on the roller coaster. Just get on the roller coaster. I know you're scared. Get on the roller coaster because I got to show you something that you just can't see unless you get on the roller coaster. And we see Jesus. He meets them and he meets us in our fear. And he shows us something. Then he goes to this next interaction. We see another error code that happens with us. Look at this. They get to Judea, and we learn that on his arrival, that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, this says something, because back then they thought the spirit could remain around the body for about three days. But once you get to that four-day mark, it's gone. So this is important, because this is saying, Lazarus, there's no chance of resuscitation. He's gone. Totally gone. And then you read a sentence that says, and Martha went out to meet him. Let me ask you something. Before you read what, what she says, what do you think she's feeling? She called for him. He didn't show up. Probably a little upset. Probably a lot upset. Probably angry. And listen to what she says. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you used those phrases before? If you would have, if you wouldn't have, I wouldn't be in this position. Or you'd say it about yourself, if I just would have, or if I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be in this position. Now, we don't know if she's angry. We don't know if she's blaming. But her next sentence says something about where she is. But I know that even now, even now, that's kind of like a letdown statement, but even now. God will give you whatever you ask. See, I don't know if Martha's blaming. I don't know if she's angry, but she's disappointed. She's very disappointed, and Jesus responds to that disappointment. Look what he says. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Isn't this what we say to people when they lose somebody? You'll see them again one day. You will see them again one day. And Martha thinks this is what Jesus is talking about, and this is what he means. Because she answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But when you look at what Jesus says next, you know what happens? You find out Jesus isn't talking about one day. He wants to adjust the way Martha's thinking. He's saying, in the middle of all this, I got something to tell you. Look what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Not, I make, I am. It is who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying, look, Martha, you're disappointed because you think resurrection is a someday event. And I'm telling you, it's a right now person. And I'm him, right in front of you, right now. Resurrection and life is right in front of your face. I know you're disappointed over an event, but I want to show you. It's a person. Resurrection and life is a person. Have you ever had that feeling where something has been right in front of your face the whole time? I mean, what this must have been like for Martha to realize, oh, it's, I mean, resurrection and life as an event, that's part of it. But the real deal is right in front of my face. And I'm seeing it maybe for the first time. Have you had that experience? 
Maybe you can get that experience right now, okay? How many Disney movie fans do we have in here? Okay, how many Pixar or how many of you have seen a Pixar or Disney movie in the last, let's say, seven years? Okay, pretty much everybody. All right. If you have children, you've seen at least, well, probably only one, but 200 times, okay? Well, let me throw this at you. And if you know this already, please don't yell it out. A113. And you're like, what? Maybe this is the spreadsheet nerd coming out or something. A113. This letter and number have been in front of your face for nearly every Disney movie you've seen. Take a look at this. Toy Story, see the license plate? This is Cars, see the train? And you can't see it real well, but this is Monsters University. It's on the door there. And then this is The Incredibles. And then you've got Up. You can't see that one real well either. It's on the door. Ratatouille on his ear tag. Princess and the Frog on the trolley. You can't see this one real well, but this is Nemo, and on the front of the camera it says A113. Iron Giant on the license plate. Lilo and Stitch on the license plate. Brave in Roman numerals. Avengers on the TV set at the top there. And Bugs Life. Is it Bugs Life? Yeah, it's on the box. You can't see that real well either. You've probably all seen those movies. But how many of you have never seen that before? If your hand's not up, you're lying right now, all right? <laughs> I saw this the other day. I was like, I'm watching Disney movies this entire week just to look for that. This is what it was like for Martha. Oh, my goodness. It's been right in front of my face. You are resurrection, and you are life. And so not only does Jesus step into the fear of the disciples, but he steps into the disappointment of Martha. And he says, I just want to switch the way you see this right now. And then we see a third kind of error that happens when we can't make sense of the conditions. Because now Jesus is going to Martha and Lazarus' sister, Mary. And Martha goes back and she says, Mary, he's here and he's asking for you. And so Mary runs out of the house and look what happens. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Did you notice that? Comforting her? What is Mary dealing with right now? Pain. Hurt. Sorrow. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. This is that moment where you just can't stand up because of what's happened. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And what do we see Jesus do? Jesus wept. And the Jews who see this, they said, see how he loved him. This is Jesus saying, you know what? I can step into the fear. I can step into the disappointment. But Mary, I will also step into the pain. And you got to know that in the middle of the pain, I'm present with you. Have you ever had, you've heard of bedside manner in the medical field? A doctor or a nurse's bedside manner, that that can kind of make the experience for you. And if they're rude to you, well, it, you almost leave in more pain, don't you? Even if you got treatment. But when they have good bedside manner, I mean, that helps 
the treatment. It really feels like a good experience. Well, this picture went viral. This was a little girl who needed heart surgery. And as soon as they took her back, they had to take her from her parents and, and take her down to the operating room. She went into hysterics, absolute hysterics. She was freaked out. And then this guy came along. This doctor, he's one of the surgeons, picked her up, put her in his lap, and he just sat with her. And they watched cartoons on his phone. And you sit there and you look at that and you think, wow. I mean, this guy's got the knowledge to fix the situation, to make the conditions right. But before he does that, you know what he does? He just takes time to be present with her. And that's what Jesus is doing with Mary here. He's saying, look, I know there's pain, but I just need you to know I'm present. So what does all this say? You see, Jesus has stepped into the fear. He stepped into the disappointment. Now he stepped into the pain. What's it all say? Well, he said, one, I'll meet you where you're at. But you know what you don't see in here? You don't see that thing that we think he does every time we, we have an error code going on. There's no rebuke. He doesn't condemn any of them. In fact, he says, look, I'll meet you there. If you need to be scared, be scared. If you need to be disappointed, be disappointed. If you're angry with me, if you need to blame me, that's okay. If you're in pain, that's all right. Because Jesus understands those are emotions right here. But in it, he's saying, you can trust me. You can trust me to show you something. You can trust me to shift the way you're seeing this. You can trust me to be with you. See, this is Jesus saying, look, for you to know that I'm everything I claim to be, I need you to see that I can overcome anything you go through. For you to see that I'm everything that I claim to be, you need to see that I can overcome anything you go through. So that's why he steps into the fear, into the disappointment, into the pain. Let me ask you something. If I walked up to you and I said, hey, I am the greatest basketball player in the world. You'd be like, well, duh. I mean, look at you, Nathan. I mean, I could tell you that I had a quadruple double the other night, double-digit rebounds, double-digit steals, double-digit blocks, double-digit points. And you'd probably think, wow, that's incredible. And then you'd hear that I, that was against my children <laughs> on a three-foot hoop. But I did put on a clinic. It was awesome. I mean, technical fouls left and right, our daughters. Lincoln, forget technicals, it was flagrants. The guy bit me three times. He should have been ejected. <laughs> but suddenly you'd go, you know what, Nathan, you're not the greatest basketball player in the world. Because listen, your kids are probably, okay, they're, they're not good at basketball yet. They will be, all right? But that's not a, a very tough opponent. So you'd have a hard time believing I was the greatest basketball player in the world. If I could have done that against Michael Jordan in his prime, well, then I'd have an argument. And this is Jesus saying, look, you guys have been used to me showing that I'm God under certain conditions. And these conditions you've never seen before. So I need to show you I can overcome the opponent of fear, of disappointment, of hurt. But then, you know what he does? He takes us to a whole new level. He says, I'm going to overcome your greatest opponent that you could ever face. And that's death. And so, some who were standing there, 
They said, well, couldn't the man, couldn't this man have opened the eyes of the blind man? Couldn't he have kept this from happening? I mean, if he's really God, and if he really loves them, couldn't he have kept it from happening? And that's a valid argument. I mean, Jesus, you've stepped into it, but can you overcome it? And Jesus is moved to make it happen. He tells him, roll the stone away. And then you see this argument from Martha. She says, look, Lord, I, I know you said that your life and your resurrection, but I can smell death. Look at what she says. She, she says, by this time there's a bad odor because, and she reminds him, he's been there for four days. Four days, meaning he can't be resuscitated, Lord. She's making a point. She's doing the thing that we would do. Lord, I know what you say, but I'm having a hard time seeing it. I mean, isn't that what we do? We look around, we see something like what happened in Oregon this week. We say, Jesus, I want to believe what you say. You have a sick one in your life, a sick loved one. Lord, I want to believe what you say, but why don't I see it? And look at Jesus' response. Of all things, look what he says. Did I not tell you that if, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, that's a different kind of if, isn't it? See, when you and I use the statement if, we see problems and we see pain. But when Jesus uses if right here, it's a promise. If you will just trust me. In fact, if you don't get anything else this morning, remember this promise from Jesus. If you'll believe, if you'll trust he's everything, you'll see his glory in everything. Do you believe this? If you'll trust he's everything, you'll see his glory in everything. That's fear, that's disappointment, that's pain. And he says, enough with the claims. It's time to show it. 41, verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow. So Jesus, you not only meet people in their fear, in their disappointment, in their pain, but you bring life from it. Can you imagine the implications of this for everyone standing there watching? I mean, think about it. Eventually, Lazarus, he was resurrected here, but he's going to die again. It won't be resurrected yet. But you can bet that second time Lazarus dies that Mary and Martha, they're reminded, oh, he met me in my pain. And it's not the same pain anymore. He met me in the disappointment. It's not the same anymore. And for the disciples, oh my goodness, can you imagine the courage this would have given, him, given them? We don't have to be scared and the implications for us, because for us, this is a reminder of what's coming for Jesus. Jesus says, look, I'll step into your fear. I'll step into your disappointment. 
I'll step into your pain, but you know what else I'll step into? Your sin. I'll step into it. Because you know what? I can meet you in it, and I can bring life out of it. There is nothing, nothing, nothing he can't do. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. It's what he's been saying the entire book. And now he's showing it. So this morning, let me ask you something. Maybe you've heard this, you've heard this your entire life, but for the first time, you're seeing something. Instead of fear, instead of disappointment, instead of pain, maybe you're in that, but he can bring life out of it because he's the son of God. He can do what he claims to do. He is who he claims to be. If that's the case with you, if this morning you want to say, Lord, my life's yours, because I don't want to walk through with fear and disappointment and pain, and I can't do anything about my sin. We'll have Stephen ministers around the sanctuary afterwards. You'll see their name tags. Go find one of them, or just find somebody and say, hey, it's time. It's time. If your heart's beating fast, that's God doing something in your heart. But I wonder if for some of us, you've been a Christian for years and years and years. And you know what we forget to do as Christians? We forget to look for his glory. Because Jesus made a promise. He said, if you'll trust me, if you've given your life to me, if you'll trust that I'm everything, you will see my glory in everything. Do you see it? Because it's real easy to zero in on the problems. It's real easy. And he's saying, look, there's glory going on. Every single week we're hearing about what God is doing and the power of one in people's lives here. Do you see it? So with that being said, I just want to send us out reminded of the promise Jesus made. If you'll trust that he's everything, you will see his glory in everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you, thank you, thank you for your patience and your mercy and your grace upon us. You are a God who just constantly, constantly is in pursuit of us. And Lord, when we look around and the conditions of our life, of our lives don't make sense, remind us that that's not a message that you've abandoned us, that you've left us somehow. No, that's a message that you want to step into it. And you want to do something in it. And if it feels unfamiliar, then Lord, keep us trusting you. Even when we fear. Even when we're disappointed. Even when we hurt. Remind us of what you did at the cross. Where you overcame our ultimate opponent, death. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming this morning. Have a great week.